Let's pray. Help us, God, to live in the moments and the space of quiet and of silence and of reflection and of gazing on your goodness and your glory and your grace. Truly, we have been the recipients of your bounty from heaven. We are grateful. Help us to honor you, to look to you with praise when the choir is singing and when the choir is not singing. We love you. Thank you for loving us. As we open your word together, help us to be attentive to you. Give us eyes that are good to see, hearts that are good and receptive soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words deviate or stray in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So we have spent the past 15 weeks now talking about the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus lived, the way that Jesus invited and continues to invite his disciples, his followers, his apprentices to live, the way of the kingdom, the way into the kingdom. This morning as we wrap up this series, at least for now, I want to begin by asking a big picture question, and that is this. What is the central imperative of the Christian life? What is the central imperative of the Christian life. An imperative is something that a person is told to do, that a person does, something that is of vital importance, something that is urgent and essential. If someone asked you to describe for them with one idea or one action or one practice or maybe one commitment, the essence or the substance of the Christian life, how would you respond? What would you say How would you summarize the Christian life, the life into which Jesus calls each of us as a person? What is the central imperative of the Christian life? So think about that for just a moment. And now if you are willing, if you are willing, this is not mandatory, but if you are willing turn to one or two or three people right around you. And if you don't know them, introduce yourself very quickly and share with them what may or may not be, but what you think might be the central imperative of the Christian life. And again, um, I'm tempted to say there is no wrong answer or right answer, but there probably are some wrong answers. Uh, Just to give you a couple of clues, uh, having a potluck is not the right answer. Uh, For youth, 
playing contraband is not the right answer. But uh, go ahead and outside of a few of those things, give it a whirl, share for just a moment an idea of what may be the central imperative of the Christian life. All right, the clock's ticking. You've got about 10 more seconds. That's it. This is really fast. All right, let's wrap it up. And just and to give you a heads up, sitting on a committee, I heard someone saying right down here, that's not one of the right answers. No committees. So rather than ask you, I'm... I'm sure that you shared some great responses with one another. Um, My guess is that some of your responses are things that we have talked about in our curriculum over the last 15 weeks, maybe loving God, maybe loving people or one another, maybe immersing oneself in God's Word, studying the Bible, maybe prayer, maybe practicing gratitude, maybe repentance, maybe one of those others. Uh, And those would all be good and valid responses, I think. Almost 500 years ago, in the year 1559, after 23 years of long devoted work, John Calvin, who along with Martin Luther were probably the most influential uh, people in the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, John Calvin published his multi-volume systematic theology that attempted to sort of bring it all together. Three huge volumes, a magnum opus of theology. And midway through the third book is a chapter called, or that seeks to explain the essence and the foundation of the Christian life, or the practice of the Christian life, or what comes first in experiencing the grace of God, or what the Christian life is all about. And the title of that chapter is The Sum of the Christian Life, The Denial of Self. The Sum of the Christian Life, The Denial of Self. And while such a response may or may not have been your first response, it may have been if you cheated and looked at the title of the sermon or the quotes on the front, Calvin makes a really good case for this in that chapter 7. But more important than John Calvin is Jesus and what Jesus said. So uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Peter has just announced and affirmed that he understands and that he believes that Jesus is Messiah. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then Matthew writes these words, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And now dropping down to verse 24, listen closely, this is the word of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, after this briefing and their first real affirmation confirming who Jesus was, whoever wants to be my disciple... Whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to learn from me, whoever wants to be my uh, apprentice or student, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, or his reign, or his activity, or his rule. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, follower, student, apprentice, must deny themselves. And there may be no more difficult word in all of the Bible or all in the teachings of Jesus because they go counter to our human nature in so many ways, to our fallen human nature, regardless of what a person believes about the doctrine of original sin. I think we can all agree that it is our default thinking and functioning. Our thinking about is to think about ourselves, about our own needs being met, about what is best for ourselves, about what is most enjoyable for ourselves, about how a situation or a relationship can work out well for us with regard to our finances and how we spend our time and how we spend our relationships, what we do, where we go, who we live with, where we live, is that going to work out well for me, is the subtle question in the back. And Jesus is asking us to do and to live in ways that are completely counter to our default setting and, the, and what the world has sold us on, a world that says you've got to have this and you've got to experience this and you've got to enjoy this and you've got to be this and you've got to go to this place and you certainly should not deprive yourself of this or that. We live in a selfie world, do we not? In which, in more ways than one, it is all about me. And there's no shame in that in our culture anymore. Our kids are growing up taking pictures of themselves and posting them online for hundreds and sometimes thousands of other people to look at. And they're doing that because we do that. And we have done that. And Jesus invites us. It's an invitation as much as it's a command to deny ourselves and to so maybe live a radically different way. But before we go any further, several things must be said about what denying oneself clearly does not mean. Denying oneself does not mean denying that you exist. That would be silly. Denying oneself does not mean denying that you are made in God's image. You are made in God's image, every one of us. Denying oneself does not mean denying that you are worth loving and that you are loved by God, by other people. Denying oneself does not mean denying that you have gifts that have value to God and value in the body of Christ and that can be used to bring about God's purposes. Every one of us has gifts from God. Denying oneself does not mean denying yourself an appropriately healthy self-esteem. Denying oneself does not mean rejecting the affirmation of others or deflecting compliments. Denying oneself does not mean not looking out for one's own physical and medical well-being and safety. 
Denying oneself does not mean letting others walk all over you or take advantage of you in any way. Just to be real clear about this. In addition, denying oneself is not so much about denying oneself chocolate or sweets or a certain number of calories or pleasures or even luxuries. Rather, denying oneself is giving up on ourselves as lords. It is the decision to let another Lord rule our lives. It is stepping off of the throne of our own lives and allowing the Lord Jesus to be on that throne in every way. In the words of Tim Keller, denying oneself is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less, less often. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, exclamation point, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. And this was the way of John the Baptist, who in many ways was like Jesus, as he paved the way for Jesus, and who said about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. And this was very much the way of Jesus himself, and even one might say the way of God in Jesus. This is what we celebrate at Advent and at Christmas, that God the Son left his glorious throne in the heavens and came down from above, denying himself the rightful privileges of divinity and royalty to be with us, to be among us, to be like us, to be one of us, to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be taken advantage of. Rather, he made himself nothing, denying himself, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. God humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so it should come as no surprise that historically, Advent, the season of waiting and watching for the coming or the arrival of Messiah, has been a season historically for practicing self-denial. Though our culture today operates in exactly the opposite way and is oblivious to this thing that the church calls Advent. But God calls us to swim against the powerful flow of the cultural river in which we live and in which we swim. This was the most consistent message of Jesus. This was the most consistent message of Jesus. Throughout his teachings and in his words, And these words and others like them are recorded in all four Gospels, which is rare. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. 
In John's gospel, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These are the words and the formulas that Jesus said over and over multiple times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in all of the gospels. And though all of this sounds difficult, unpleasant, unappealing, unappetizing, what is the alternative? What is the alternative? Richard Baxter, an old school, long time ago, pastor, writer, theologian, author, wrote, self is the most treacherous enemy. Self is the most treacherous enemy and the most insinuating deceiver in the world. Of all the other vices, it is both the hardest to find out and the hardest to cure. Meister Eckhart wrote, Self-love is the root and cause of all evil. It snatches away all that is good and all that is perfect. Therefore, if the soul is to know God, it must also forget itself and lose itself. For as long as it sees itself, it will not see and know God. But when it loses itself for God's sake and leaves all things, then it finds itself again in God because God dawns upon it. And only then does the soul know itself and all things in God. The army used to have a slogan, be all that you can be. That was their recruiting slogan for a number of years. Be all that you can be. Jesus' recruiting slogan was, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. A very, very different sort of thing. But very much good news in it nonetheless. We're getting to this, for whatever reason, at the end of our 16-week curriculum. But Matthew Henry writes, the first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial. The first thing that we must learn. And in many ways, it pervades many of those topics that we were looking at earlier. Richard Baxter wrote, I take the love of God, which was our first topic, and self-denial, which is now our last to be the sum of all saving grace and religion. And by religion, he means simply the Christian faith. I take the love of God and self-denial to be the sum of all saving grace and religion. Zach Poonin, who's an Indian leader in the church there, wrote, the most important qualification for a servant of God is that he does not seek his own. And while this feels awfully heavy, again, think about the alternative. Think about a life that is fully absorbed in itself. Roy Hessian wrote, People imagine that dying to self makes one miserable, but it is just the opposite. It is the refusal to die to self that makes one miserable. The more we know of death with him, the more we shall know of his life in us. And so the more of real peace and joy. Those words are printed on the cover of our bulletin this morning. 
And I think they're really true. As I look around at the people in the church and the people out of the church who seem to experience the most authentic joy and peace are the ones who have given up on themselves, who deny themselves, and in the place of themselves and their focus is God and others. This was Jesus' formula. As Calvin goes on to say in that chapter 7 of book 3 in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, when we deny ourselves, we open ourselves to a knowledge of God. We make ourselves available to God. We completely reorient our relationships with others. We are for the first time freed to love the other and not love first the self. It may very well be the key to life in the kingdom. So I want to close this morning with the words of Henry Nouwen that I've quoted several times during this series but continue to have much meaning for me as I reflect on Jesus' call to follow him to go in his way and to enter into and to experience his kingdom. The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up. Making it to the top, entering the limelight, breaking the record, that's what draws attention, gets us on the front page of the newspaper and offers us the rewards of money and fame. The way of Jesus is radically different. It is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom. The way Jesus took, and the way that brings everlasting life. It doesn't seem that way on first glance, on first look, at first consideration. But when we have lived that wisdom and obeyed Jesus and followed Jesus, who remarkably, as God, denied himself, we discover a new reality, a new activity, a new way, a new truth. Jesus called this his kingdom. And he described it as glorious, and we are invited into it. Let's pray. Help us, God, to appropriate and to understand Jesus' words that seem counterintuitive and difficult. But we trust as we believe in Jesus that we also believe Jesus, that his words are true and truth and trustworthy. Help us to live into those words by your grace in all of the arenas and circles and contexts and venues in which we find ourselves. 
continue to be about redeeming us and renovating us from the inside out. May we embrace the teachings of our master and our rabbi, both in what we do and say and also in the reflections and the meditations of our hearts. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us, but coming to us to rescue us and to show us the way. You are the way. Amen.